I have nowhere to go. Here we go. <laughs> hey, fat fish heads. It's time for another edition of the hottest new podcast on all platforms. Fatfish. Sit back and strap yourself in for the wildest ride on the open seas. Now, lap your fins for the fabulous Fatfish Brothers, Eric Fish Snyder and Brad Grunny Grunberg, a.k.a. Snacks. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> We're back, number 43, and I, there's only one way to start this fish with, with an old and dear friend, and I mean old. We met a long time ago, and I want to introduce him, my buddy, my pal, the greatest leader I know, the greatest guy I know. We'll get into how we met. How about a nice hand for Dr. Steve Haberman? Hi, Steve. Hi, how you doing? Good, what buddy. Are we doing here, by the way? What'd you say? What are we doing here? I have no idea. I just wanted to I, I just want to see how you were doing on my podcast, Fatfish. How you doing? I'm I'm doing good. I'm waiting to find out what this is about. I can hardly wait. This is about you. <laughs> this is about you and all the good things you've done in your life. Me, all right. And we're going to elaborate on other things coming soon to a theater near you. There are uh, no theaters. And that's no true. Theaters. Yeah. What is going on with that? Everybody just well, stays you know, They destroyed their, their business model. They made it too easy to sit home with a great big, beautiful screen and watch a pristine print off the negative in surround sound in your living room, in your underwear. Why would you want to go to a movie? But didn't, all, didn't this all happen because of COVID or was it happening before? No, no. They destroyed their business model. They made it so that it was not, it costs more to go see a movie in a movie theater than it does to buy a Blu-ray and have it for life in your library like a book and watch it at home. I mean, why would you want to go and deal with the other people, you know, eating and opening wrappers and all that? <laughs> well, uh, that, that's me at the theater, opening wrappers. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it never stops. It's like a joke. It's like the wrapper, you keep waiting for him to stop the wrapper. And the wrapper is for two and a half hours or however long the movie, the wrapper is going. Well, the members of Mensa here in Las Vegas, Steve and Brad, they decided to put bars in all the. I live in Las Vegas, Steve, and all they, they decided to put bars in all the movie theaters. So it's hard enough watching a film without someone talking. Now you got drunks in there, so that that totally takes out the experience of watching a film because you can't. Hey, projector, turn it back. I missed that line because this idiot in back of me is drunk off his ass. Nah, I'd rather well, sit at home doing my. Yeah, rappers. but you know what? I've got a great innovation to that to make it work for everybody. Just take the theater out and leave the bar. <laughs> Ah, I like that. Can we Which put Steve in that? the middle? Yeah, can, I want to put Steve in the middle like a sandwich. Can we do that thing? Oh, I can try. Yeah. No. I, I, I got to take you guys out. And then I had know, to go to the hospital last night. Okay, okay, just leave it. Leave it. Okay. So here's how we met. It was the late 80s, not to date us. And I got a job at 20th Century Fox Studios as a waiter in the commissary. I've mentioned that on our podcast before. 
Well, these two guys, Steve Haberman, Dr. Steve Haberman, we'll get into that, why he's called And these two writers, they were writers with Mr. Uncle Mel Brooks. And I would go by the table and they go, why are you sweating? I go, <laughs> I go I'm sweating because of you and your presence there. He goes, where the fuck's my food? And stop sweating and towel yourself off and get back here with my food. I go, okay. You know, Steve and Rudy are instrumental in me uh, being in Mel Brooks's film. I, the first one, I think I auditioned while I was serving them food with Ann Bancroft, Mel, Steve, and Rudy. And Steve goes, all right, Johnny Cocktails, get over here. All right, it's time for the audition. Go. And I did it the first, and, and Mel goes, not bad. How about, do it again. And then he looked at Ann, he goes, what do you think? She goes, I like it. I yeah, like it. She liked you. She did. She learned not to. But at first, she really did like you. Did she? Why? Yeah. But the thing about it is, it's true. We wrote this little scene for, for Johnny Cocktails, our waiter, uh, unbeknownst to Mel. And uh, we had uh, we had Johnny come to the table and do it when Mel when Ann was there having lunch with us. So it was and and Johnny Cocktail did great. And his scene, I, you know, he was so afraid when we were shooting the scene because it was a big studio movie. You know, this is a big right. MGM movie, and we're on location, which was my idea. <laughs> I'm amazed <laughs> Mel speaks to me. But um, we shot this in downtown LA in on Skid Row because that's where it took place. And and Johnny Cocktails is down there and he's he's rehearsing his one over and over and tasting and eating, and uh, and he comes up and he says, you know, I'm terrified. And it's a scene with Mel. We went, we made sure it was a scene with Mel Brooks. And so uh, he comes up and he says, I'm so terrified to do this. I'm a, what if I? I said, Johnny, what do you care? It's going to be cut. It's not. <laughs> Just do it and let's get the hell out of here because the sun was, you know, when you're shooting it downtown L.A., once the sun goes down behind the buildings across the street, you're in shadow. And that means they have to fire up the arc lights. You know, the right. reflectors aren't good enough anymore. And so it takes time and it takes money. We're, we're chasing these shadows of the buildings coming and Mel is not happy about it. Not happy. And, yeah, right. And so, uh, yeah, so we he did it. And he did it good. He really did. He he really stepped up to the plate or to the uh, to the. I I was quite nervous, Steve, because oh, Uncle Mel was. I mean, he was directing, producing, starring, and he was nervous to, to go over budget, and to go late, and you know, pay everybody. Uh, you know, the the you know, it was, you know union. You know, anything over eight, then you know, everybody's. In, this was a big movie, and we had a, you know we had a decent budget, but. Mel is uh, Mel. He doesn't like to yeah, spend right. money after, and, especially on Johnny cocktails. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> well, I eat a burrito. So basically, what I've seen is Mel is his character is starving, and he's on the streets of uh, L.A. And he comes up to me. He goes, "Excuse me, do you know where I can get something at, at a taco stand?" And I'm eating a burrito. I go, "Listen, pal." Comes a burrito in his mouth, and he says. I don't know where my next meal's coming from, and I shove right. the burrito in my mouth. It's it. physically imposing, so it's a joke. <laughs> and uh, what? And and he did it. And and the the thing about it is the guy uh, Johnny Cocktails. Then he eats half the burrito, and leaves half of it on the counter, which wasn't really written or discussed or anything. 
and he's he exits and Mel is standing there and the burrito was still there. The half of the burrito was still there and Mel reached for it and the guy inside the taco stand grabbed it. I mean, this was all unwritten. It was great. It actually happened while we were doing it, you know, and it's in the movie. All we had to do was shoot an insert of the of the, uh, of the burrito, of the half the burrito. And even the burrito was on its game that day because one bean fell, boom, during the, uh, <laughs> you know, the burrito. The burrito was on its game. Yeah. yeah. Love this it. was the movie Life Stinks. I want all our viewers and listeners to know. It's a movie that... Uh, we brought to Mel and he, he loved the idea of it and uh, we made it and he's very, very proud of it. And so am I, you know, it, it wasn't a hit like blazing saddles or young Frankenstein, but uh, it's Mel's greatest performance, which he acknowledges. And in interviews, Mel will say, if you really want to understand Mel Brooks as a filmmaker, see life stinks. True. So he's, he's very, he's very proud of it. And so am I, it's, it, yeah. you know, I don't know how, why he jumped at it. I kind of do know why he jumped at it. it. It was really what he was. Yeah. <laughs> the, reason, the reason, the reason he jumped at it is because that was what he really wanted to be as a filmmaker. His first two movies were not parodies. It was the producers and um, 12 chairs, which were comedies, but they were comedies based on his worldview. Mel is an auteur, which I had to explain to him, but he, he readily, but he's an auteur. He makes movies based on his worldview, which is very specifically his. And they're always love stories, usually between men, not homosexual, but, but still love, where they're, they, they're two guys from completely different uh, areas of life that are forced together to to enact some kind of scheme, usually to make money. And his his theme is love or money. What's more important, you know? And uh, this movie was that. And he bonds with a couple of guys on the street and a and a bag lady, who who he actually falls in love with. And um, and I knew that was going to appeal to him. And also the setting was something important to him. It was about money. It was about a guy who had money and he was losing his money and he wanted to get it back. And um, so uh, we took this to him and he fell for it immediately. I mean, he didn't even think about it. He slapped the desk and said, we'll make it. And that's, <laughs> those days he had the power to do that, just right. to say, we'll make it. And it was a done deal. Well, great story about, about Steve is... I asked Steve this question. So I waited on Mel and he said, keep in touch. Yeah. Oh my God, what does that mean? Oh shit. Mel Brooks said, keep in touch. So I asked Steve what that means. And what did you tell me? I said, once upon a time, I was a film student at USC. And I went to go see uh, the screening of Young Frankenstein at Bovard Auditorium at USC. And Mel was in attendance. He was there and it was a sold out. It was huge. All the kids went. And uh, it was a big hit. And I was outside when Mel left. It was nighttime now. And Mel was walking through all these kids. Congratulating. He walks past me. And I said to him, an anonymous kid at USC, 17 years old, I said to him, great movie, Mr. Brooks. And he said, thanks, kid. Keep in touch. And so Johnny Cocktails, decades later, says to me, hey, Mel just said, keep in touch to me. What does that mean? What should I do? As you, as you said, it took me 20 years. And have a good night's sleep and never think about it again. Right, because it took me 20 years to work with him after he yeah. told me keep in touch. Right. 
Hey, so Fish, there's a reason why they call Steve Haberman Dr. Steve Haberman. Yeah, I have a PhD. I'm a, in, I'm a yeah, you, have a, you have a PhD in horror films, correct? Well, no, not horror, in film studies. It's oh. a PhD from De Montfort University in Leicester, England. Um, and I went to that particular university because uh, they specialize in British horror. They have the Hammer Films collection, which is uh, all the scripts and all the documentation and all, everything that was left from Hammer Films. Is, which it, was, is that MC Hammer? You can't do no. I'll explain it to you, Johnny Cocktails. Buckle up. It's, uh, it's about uh, Hammer Films was a, was a company in England that was making basically second features in black and white uh, during the 40s and 50s what they called in England quota quickies because that's a socialist country and the government there subsidized the film industry as the arts and also, you know, to make money. And so they decided what they would do is they would make uh, basically quota quickies, which was just, they had to make a certain number of movies because it was a government program and they would make these B features with hopefully a Hollywood star. And one of those companies, which was originally called exclusive and then became hammer films, Decide they had a great idea. They were going to make a remake of Frankenstein. It hadn't been made since 1931, and they decided to do this in 1957. They were going to make a remake of Frankenstein. It had never been remade. There had been sequels, you know, in America, but never remade. And they were going to go back to the original novel, which was in the public domain because it was published in 1818, uh, Mary Shelley's original novel. And But they were going to make it in color. They were going to make it in, in England in period, because the original Frankenstein movies were not made in the 19th century. They were made in the 20th century, but with that sort of concept of Frankenstein. And uh, they were going to take it very seriously. And so they did. They made this movie and it was a gigantic, and it was also very bloody and kind of sexy for 1957. So it was um, a huge hit, a huge international hit. So they did what they had to do. They made Dracula. They made the Phantom of the Opera. They made a werewolf movie. They made a mummy movie. And it became, uh, uh, England brought back the Gothic horror film, which had basically been dormant for at least 10 years. And, um, and I, that's what I wanted to uh, write my thesis on is uh, something that occurred during that era of the genre. And so I thought the best place to, to do that would be De Mumford because they, their professors were specialists in that area of film history and criticism. And they also had the Hammer Film Library. They, somehow they had in, in their film library, and I don't mean the movies, I mean the scripts and the production papers and you know all that, all that stuff, which I was going to you know, need in my endeavors. So that's where I went and I succeeded. I wrote a thesis and it's going to be a book, by the way. Oh, it's wow. My wow. first book, nice. it's... It's going to be published in about six months uh, by Bear Manor Publishing. And um, so there you go. Well, Steve, uh, Mr. Fish would like to call me Dr. Steve Haberman. Oh, excuse me. Dr. Mr. Fish here, I gave him the script Slices. He oh, has a couple of questions for you. What? You know, Doc, you read a script, and my parents are both in Hollywood, and the, the first 10 pages were so captivating to me. And I read a lot of scripts. It was phenomenal. It's a phenomenal script. Thank and you. I'm saying, I'm going to try and I, I, if I know anyone, I'm going to try and help these guys get this done on one condition. You got to get grabbed the hell out of that film. It's too good <laughs> of a script. You don't need you don't need any taco eating moron 
sitting in that in that field. It's an no, don't you think, well, wait a minute, think about it. Don't you think he'd be great to play the guy, the the, the pizza place owner, Frank? I mean, I think Absolutely. he'd be fantastic. Brad, and plus, you get to see him killed. Brad's a great actor. I'm I'm just I'm just, I'm just you know I'm I'm just oh, jobbing cool. a little bit, but I, might, I'm a big fan. You know what, he's a pizza. He's an Italian pizza place owner, right? Tough right. guy. I think he's going to have to gain a little weight for that part. Wow. <laughs> That's a stretch. <laughs> right? Just I'm already dog. working on that. I'm already working. I'm De Niro, start baby. It. You can start at lunchtime today. <laughs> I, I got to ask Dr. Steve Haberman one question that is yes. really exciting to me because he talked about the film studies and to talk about the macabre. And, and you wrote a film in 1995 called Dracula Dead and Loving It. Talk about that because... I'm going to go, I looked up your, you know, all your dossier on IDMB and I said, I've got to see that. I'm a big vampire guy. Talk about, is that one of the first films you've written? Cause that, that goes back 30 years. And, um, <laughs> what does it, can I find I'm it? That I look, I'm like what? Dorian Gray. I just don't age. I don't know why it's not from clean living. I'll tell you that, but I just don't 38. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so, uh, that movie, uh, uh, okay. Let me backtrack a little bit. So we make Life Stinks. We make Life Stinks. And uh, Mel was very happy with it. And uh, Mel uh, was a junior writer back in the day in the 1950s for the great Sid Caesar, who I also wrote for, believe it or not. Ooh. Not in the 50s, but I did write for him. And um, Sid Caesar always had his writers. It was the show of shows and Caesar's Hour, the two probably the premier sketch comedy shows in the history of television. The funniest sketches ever with the best cast. And why not? The cast was uh, Sid Caesar, Howie Morris, Carl Reiner, and Emma Jean Coca. And the writers, the writers were, this was the writer's room for the Sid Caesar show in the 1950s. Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, Neil Simon, wow. Larry Gelbart. <laughs> yep. Carl Reiner. This is all in the same room at the same time. Sid Caesar himself. Um, and some that I've forgotten. Uh, and uh, Mel Tolkien. Lucille Callan. So these were the great comedy minds of the century. And they were all discovered by Sid Caesar, as was I, later. And um, they made this funny show. And so Sid had his writers all the time during rehearsals, during shooting, always. And so Mel, when he became a movie director, did the same thing. So I was on every second of Life Stinks. I didn't know Mel Brooks before I pitched him Life Stinks. So, you know, we were strangers and I was the new kid in town. And, but I was there. If Mel was there, I was there. Because, you know, his idea is, you never know when a writer's going to come up with something. You know, it's going to trigger some something funny I can use. So um, we made this movie, Life Banks, and it was an adventure. And Mel got to know me, and I got to know him. And so when it was done, he said, "You know, you know a lot about movies." And he said, uh, "I'm not just Mel Brooks. I'm Brooks Films. I'm a very classy guy. I, I produced The Elephant Man. I produced The Fly. I produced 84 Charing Cross Roads." And he said, what you should do is you should write something for Brooks Films and I'll produce it and you should direct it. Because I was I made a complete nuisance of myself on the set of Life Stinks. And um, Amen. And, 
Amen to that. And, and he might he must have enjoyed it. So he thought I should probably do it on my own. Well, anyway, um, so that's what I did. I wrote this big uh, science fiction movie called Not Human. Really big sort. Took place in the biosphere. Had all the CGI special effects. And he liked it and he bought it. God bless him. And so he was setting it up. And uh, as he was setting it up, uh, MGM became interested in it. And so we were doing storyboards and maquettes of the monsters and, you know, little styrofoam models of the sets. And we were going to make this movie. And then MGM called one day and said, we're going to make Not Human, but it's not Not Human. We're going to make another one called um, Species. Species. We have this script called Species. We're going to make that instead of not human so have a nice day uh, so that went its way so mel says to me why don't you write something else cheaper so i did i wrote pizza man or as you know it slices and so uh mel bought it again and uh he tried to set it up but things happened uh, you know the covid and the stock market crashed and a bunch of stuff happened and it, it never got made. And so uh, it's been passed down through through uh, the, the acts of God, shall we say, to Johnny Cocktails, of all people, the waiter. <laughs> the waiter comes back. The waiter comes back. And I brought it to Lauren Francesca, who is That's amazing. Right. Lauren Francesca, who we all love. We love her. She's been doing these horror films for many. Yeah, look at this. Yeah. Uh, for but if you years. make the right, listen to me. If you make the right horror film and you make it the right way, you don't have to do a lot of them because those get lost. You know, the, the distribution system now is so fractured. But if you make one that's really scary and really entertaining, um, then you get to do the next one a little bit bigger and the next one after that a little bit bigger. The idea is not to make a movie, the idea is to make a good movie. And uh, making a good movie is not just getting a bunch of friends together and shooting. You you have to have a good script. You have to have a good director who 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 plans, who who works within whatever circumscribed budget he's given to make the best film he can. And it can be done. I mean, some great, really great movies have been made under these circumstances, especially in the horror genre, because that's a genre that people break in with. Movies like uh, P Peter Bogdanovich's Targets, which, as it turned out, was the best movie he ever made. Um, he made it because Roger Corman wrote him a check for $150,000 and gave him Boris Karloff. And he went off and made a masterpiece. And uh, uh, or going from a different perspective, Night of the Living Dead, the first uh, Night of the Living Dead that George Romero made was made on weekends with a crew that usually did commercials and uh, industrial films, which he also was. And he got his crew together. And on the weekends, he made this classic you know that started its own subgenre within the horror genre of the zombie movie so no. you know who's directing uh slices me oh i didn't know <laughs> really oh no oh we're doomed oh, yeah shit. well you know here's the thing when i started out uh when i went to usc uh, uh i made this film on my own because i didn't want usc to own it I raised the money because I was doing very well at USC. Um, that's where I got my undergraduate degree in cinema. And uh, I made this film called Blind Earth, which is a very suspenseful, exciting sort of half hour movie, kind of like a very spectacular um, episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, I guess. 
And um, it, it won like 18 international film festival awards. And uh, I, I, it was, it was, it was a thing, you know, the cine, which is a, a I don't know if it's still there, but it, it's the council on international non-theatrical events in Washington, DC. It was a government sort of program. It picked my film as film of the year and it, distributed it to all of these film festivals which we won because it was very it's a very entertaining movie very professionally made so because of that and the fact that i was getting a, a, all my screenplays optioned even when i was a student at usc because i had a i got an agent one of my professors got me an agent um because of that i i used to work for uh these b movie companies like new world um, to as a visual consultant, which is kind of a job that I made up for myself. They would hire me every time they had a first time director that was attached to a script that they wanted to do. And I, what I would do is I would um, work with the director. I would storyboard the scenes, break the, the master scene screenplay into shots and storyboard those. And I would go on the set with the director and help them figure it out. And I did that for a lot, a lot of movies um, and I thought somebody's going to ask me to direct one, but they never did because every time I was hired, it was always for a project that had a director they couldn't get rid of and they didn't trust. That's why they hired me so I could help them out. So anyway, one of those directors was Rudy DeLuca. He was making his little movie, uh, Transylvania 65,000 with a spectacular cast. You know, it was Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr. and Gina Davis and uh, who else was it? Michael Richards and Carol Kane had a spectacular cast. And we went to Yugoslavia and I helped Rudy direct this movie. And uh, it was a hit, <laughs> surprisingly. Were you like visual consultants on that? Visual consultant. This is how I met Rudy DeLuca. And Rudy had had a very successful screenwriting career. His, his writing partner was Barry Levinson. They were partners for 14 years. And they had won two Emmys for the Carol Burnett show. And Mel had hired them to write silent movie and high anxiety. So they had this history with Mel. So anyway, we make this movie uh, and I'm the visual consultant for Rudy. And when we get back, Barry Levinson had already directed Diner. And he, I think he was working on The Natural at the time. And so he needed a partner and he asked me to be his writing partner. And I already, you know, had distinguished myself. I'd had a bunch of scripts. Uh, optioned when I was a student at USC. And so I said, sure. And I became his writing partner. And um, one day Mel Brooks called. And because of that phone call, I ended up pitching Life Stinks to Mel and the rest is history. Wow. Now you you directed before. I've seen some of your work in the pornography world. You were yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's the thing. I I'll tell you something. I was always on the fringes of low-budget filmmaking in Hollywood and in the Valley. I never met anybody who did porn. It must be the most underground, underground thing. Oh, did you do porn for real? Yeah, never, yeah. Where, where are you guys hiding out? In the Valley someplace? Well, I did a couple of, yes. You know, I, I was in Canoga Park. I did, the, I did a film called Forest Pumps, and I did Gladiator. So, I mean, that look, what, what can I tell you? Yes. You know? Um, I was living in German Oaks, and I never saw Heidner or Harry, you guys. If you'll pardon me. The problem with Fish was he pulled down his pants, and that it was over. They threw him off the set. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, he he bragged about his uh, package, and uh, you know how that goes. There we go. But uh, hey, Doc, Doc, can I ask Doctor Steve a question, Brad? For you get on a tangent, 
um because he brought up the film it's a film this guy's a phd in film studies and i just noticed just by being a layman that the horror genre is so big are you like me are you a rob zombie guy are you the kind of guy that likes the paranormals remember the original amityville horror Steve yeah. with with uh, Margot Kidder and James Brolin that scared the shit out of me in 1978, but the Rob Zombie type films like uh, the House of a Thousand Corpses and and um, yeah the Devil's Rejects they're so popular. Which way do you go? Well, you know I, I like the genre. I'm I'm a student of the genre. So right. um, you know, but originally what I was very interested in is a kind of psychological horror. I loved Hitchcock, I loved Psycho, and I loved Frenzy, and I loved uh, Roman Polanski. I loved Repulsion. I thought that was a fabulous movie. And of course, Rosemary's Baby and The Tenet and stuff. So that was kind of the area that I that I enjoyed. But really, as a fan, um, I loved all kinds of horror, uh, including, as you said, you know, occult horror, horror involving the supernatural. Because the thing about horror is, it's it's really a metaphor for reality. You know, um, depending on the filmmaker, they use the elements of horror, whether it's psychological or whether it's supernatural, as, um, as a metaphor for real problems between real people in real life. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any way to connect to it, you know? And so uh, I studied that. And, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of, a, a, of an authority now. I've done... Um, Excuse me. 69 audio commentaries for Blu-rays and DVDs of classic horror films all the way back. I did the, the audio commentary for the Bela Lugosi Dracula and the Boris Karloff Frank, uh, not Frankenstein, the mummy, you know, from the thirties for universal. I did those. And there was a great, uh, there was a great horror filmmaker, very groundbreaking psychological horror film uh, maker, in the 40s by the name of Val Luton, I did four of his movies and I wrote the documentary that goes on the box set of his movies for Warner Brothers. And, um, you know, my book, Silent Screams, is about silent horror movies. So, you know, I, I've, I've bridged the genre. I, uh, the, I guess probably the latest, uh, chronologically, the latest movie I've done an audio commentary for is um, David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone the Stephen King adaptation. So I'm interested in the whole genre and, um, and creatively I'm interested in the whole genre. I used to sort of just concentrate on psychological horror of which slices is one, you know, that's a psychological horror movie, <clears throat> but a little more psychological than your usual slasher film with hopefully a little bit more of a, I, I want to make it like, have you ever seen Hitchcock's frenzy? I have not. No. Oh. Well, what, yeah. stop this recording now. Go <laughs> Hitchcock's friend. See you later. Yeah, we'll wait, we'll wait right here, because um, it's it's a it's the most horrific of his movies. It has a rape scene that my wife can't watch, and she usually hits me if I do watch it. It's really graphic, and it's very it's very cinematic, but it's also just gut wrenching. But it also has a great sense of humor. You know, the, uh, uh, it has that Hitchcock kind of macabre sense of humor. Not, It's not a funny movie, but it, you'll laugh. You'll laugh during the movie intentionally, not at the movie, because the movie has a very... And that's what I'm trying to do with Slices. That's like the football game scene, you know? 
which could be hysterically funny, but it's not a funny movie, you know, that's because the, the, you want to make it real, but you want the comedy not to guide the material. You want it to come from character because in my opinion, that's what's funny in life anyway, is people, people are funny. Well, slices moved. I mean, I'm, I, you know, it's hard for me to keep my attention on something. I'm turning those pages like crazy. So uh, I'm rooting for you. Is it, is it Dr. Steve? Is, is it because like you said, we're so addicted to, to violence of uh, football's most popular sport. And you look at the wa- shows, the walking dead and their 36 spinoffs. I mean, it, well, the, the me... horror genre is never going to die. Is it? No, because I'll tell you the, the real reason. Um, it's not that we're addicted to violence or, or anything like that. It's, there's a great anthropologist by the name of Robert Audrey, Robert Audrey. And he was the, uh, inspiration for Kubrick's 2001, actually all of Kubrick's pictures. And also he was the inspiration for Sam Peckinpah's, uh, Straw Dogs. And what he posited in his books, like, uh, the African Genesis or, um, the territorial imperative is that we evolved from a species of killer apes. And the reason we have opposable thumbs is so that we could hold weapons to beat each other over the heads with and take their water. That we evolved because we're a violent species. You know, we're, we're omnivores uh, who basically prefer eating meat and uh, we're territorial. We will guard our women and our caves and our local watering hole to the point of killing. And that's our first instinct is to kill. That's why I expect this political season to become violent because we've come to that point. It's 1861 again, gentlemen. And uh, this, this, uh, this country's re- uh, about ready to have brother kill brother. And it's inevitable. It's happened all through history. It didn't, it didn't build up to this point. We had tamped it down with the veneer of civilization, which we've created through Western culture. Yes, I said Western culture, a veneer of civilization. Through much of the world, they don't even have the veneer of civilization. It's just violent all the time. But we're breaking through. We're gonna, we are going to uh, achieve our destiny of, uh, of killing each other without conscience. Well... We need to get slices made before this this whole thing goes on in the election. Yes. So at least we have, something to, we have something to entertain us before we, you know, the, the, the Debbie right. Downer dead comes. And following human nature. Did you ever meet uh, um, Alfred Hitchcock? No. I followed him to an elevator once. Oh, oh that? <laughs> that's, 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 that's really creepy. Close security. That's real creepy. And what about Vincent? That never Trump? happened. <laughs> that never happened. So you, you did you ever get on the elevator or no? No. He turned around and he said, good evening. <laughs> what about Vincent Price? Vincent Price I saw a couple times, yeah. Okay. I went to a couple times he was speaking. I, I love Vincent Price. He's uh, he's, he's a hero. Yeah. And uh, he was a very learned man. He was a very intelligent, learned man. Very hip to what he was doing in the genre. And, uh, and funny. Vincent Price was a really funny guy. He was naturally funny. That's why they had him on shows like Hollywood Squares, you know, and he'd be on The Tonight Show and stuff like that. Amazing. Amazing. What a career you have had, sir. Yeah. And, uh, I'm telling you, we're going to make slices. I'm 2024. 
And, uh, you know, this guy uh, I call Fish, my buddy here, I have a feeling he's got some ideas on how uh, he might get involved with the movie. Okay. And uh, Just add money. That's all we Yo. need. We have Yo, all buddy. the... That's yeah, right. Money, money, money buys everything. Hey, Brad, let me teach you something, you taco-eating idiot. Money buys everything. Burrito, okay? burrito, burrito, burrito. tacos. He can put a taco <laughs> on your mouth. Hey, Dr. Haven, we like to have fun sometimes on this show, and I, I do a little research in the commercials. The number one commercial out right now is John Travolta playing Santa Claus, and it's sort of like a, it's a takeoff on his great film in 77, Saturday Night Fever, where he goes to oh, Manhattan – and he does the dance at the end. Well, you're about to cast somebody in slices. And I want you to grade after you see this video his dancing. Okay, here we go. It's a blast from the past. All your favorite arcade games like Asteroid, Centipede, Defender, and Galligan. So polish up your old moves. You'll need them to survive the arcade classics. Now available in two-in-one game packs for Game Boy and Super Game Boy, baby. Think of that. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. You know what I'm most proud of? That you didn't have a heart attack. <laughs> no. Two days of dancing. All that day was two long. days well spent. It really was. That was worth the time. That's all you need. You know what? I would have I would have treated you way better had I seen that earlier. There you that go. Was, the big man can move. The big man can move. I got I got wow. wheels, baby. Can and you move. still do that? Tell me the truth. Can you still do uh, that? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, You'll throw it hip. Don't even try. It was one of my best commercials. So much fun to do. Uh, it was incredible. And I uh, got a lot of play. And uh, I'll tell you, thank you for doing that, Fish. Uh, that's one of my favorite spots. And you got, uh, you did this, this, If you're going to do a film with this, with this great doctor and writer and legend, in my opinion... There may be there may be a little rewrite where you know you're doing I was just pizza and you're say, dancing. We how about a polish. How about how about the pizza owner doing a little dance, doing a little? No, uh, we have a, we have a. Don't you remember? There's a stripper. There's a male stripper that comes to the uh, to the right. bikini party to the to the. Uh, yeah, no, Johnny. Did you did you keep the costume? I, yes, I got it. You got the costume. That's All right, so, you may I, have to gain weight. To get back no, into that I don't, I don't know if it fits anymore, but we'll no, you I'll, might have you know. to need a pizza or two to get back in that costume, but still it'd be worth you know what? That would be a great gag. They think that this handsome guy is gonna be at the front door and there it's Johnny go. Cocktails. And I walk in. Oh my gosh. That's Genius. that's you've I already contributed great. artistically, Fish. You've already contributed artistically. Fish, you're amazing. You're you know, and you know, I don't know if you know this about fish. Uh, you're meeting him for the first time. Fish has been a bartender, one of the best ever. 42 years? 43. Wow. 43 years. There's a there's a drink from the eight, from the 19th century. It's called a, a, a Shadrach? A sh shit, I can't remember. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was I, I, there's a shamrock, but that's basically yeah, I, it's a drink. But I, the the shad, I, I don't know. I'm get back to you about that because it, it's it, it it it'll knock you on your ass. I'm told I've never drunk it, but it, it it's 
I've always wanted to try it just for, I'm a PhD. It's for historical reasons, you know? I want to try this drink from the 19th century. I think they may have outlawed it because it was, it, you know, it, it was probably something Edgar Allan Poe used to drink, but it had a well, great name like a. I, I will make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. I'm going to meet you sometime in 2024. I will do the history of that drink and I'll make it for you personally. All okay. right. Excellent. I, I will. That's, uh, you know, I'm going to. Who will scoop me off the floor? Yeah. I'm a <laughs> mixologist, you... my friend. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do my, my homework. Are you going to be we'll drunk when you, you, uh, you make an absinthe drink? Do you do that? With a little absinthe, you know, the cube of sugar, and you pour it into the into the. Have you ever done that? Yes. Okay, I'd like to. I've try. done it all. I flared. Okay. I've done it all. I've done it. You know, I'm. It, it, when, I, when Tom Cruise came out in Cocktail, I'm sitting in that theater, 1989, and go, "Fuck, that's me!" You know. You do the juggling and all that. I did. I did. I'm 63 years old. I'm not as, you know, I'm a little older than you are, Dr. Haberman, but you know, it's, it's that, that thing, you know why that didn't, I, I don't want to get off a tangent here, but you know why that never flew in any bar I've ever worked in. If you notice the movie cocktail bread, when you throw those bottles up, a ton of booze flies out of it. And every right. bar owner is going, Hey, baby, I'm losing money on this. It's like, just so you could do, you know, your, your little, uh, your little show. I did that back in the eighties. Yes. And it kind of was a, it's a lost art. It's gone. Some bars do it in Manhattan and stuff like that, but in Vegas here, no. You know, you're you know losing a lot of booze when you pull those bottles. You know what I always wanted to be, Fish? I always wanted to be an alcoholic. That was that was my <laughs> I <dream>. could help. <laughs> no, it really was because I, I thought, what a wonderful thing, you know. And and to be even like, for example, Stephen King was an alcoholic, and yet he wrote all of these, you know, like Salem's Lot and the Shining and stuff, drunk on his ass all the time. And I thought, what a romantic thing to be! But I can't. I'm a. I'm a lightweight. You know. After you're, you're not. You're I, I, doctor. Wait. I used to right take there. women out to get Doctor Haberman. You're yeah. a genius. You're a writer. Hemingway, Emerson, Mark Twain were the biggest drunks on the planet. Right. You're, you're the great American writers. Brad, oh. you know this. They they were so drunk all the time that they were. Right. How'd you get this literature? Robert Frost drunk. Right. I know that's what I'm saying, and, and but I'm a lightweight, so like one sip, and I'm on. The, I used to like take women out to get them drunk, so you know, I'd get a little action. And I can't. I mean, they could drink me ah. under the table. Every one of them could drink me under the table. You know, that story. They would end up like pouring me into a cab at the. You know, after an hour. I think you should be drunk uh, when you direct slices, just for fun. For Maybe that is my calling. Drunk, drunk. But you know what? Uh, Sam Peckinpah directed drunk. And um, he made great movies, but uh, they basically came out of Hollywood eventually. Who's your favorite director of all time? Would that be Mel Brooks? You know, Mel asked me one time, and I knew what he was doing. We were sitting right. I, I, I got three Emmy nominations. I got an Emmy nomination, primetime Emmy nominations, for producing each of Mel's HBO comedy specials. And one time we were sitting around, and I was editing one of the comedy specials uh, in my office, in Mel's office. You know? And uh, Mel came in and he said, he said, what's the greatest comedy of all time? And I know what he thought I was going to say. And I said, um, City Lights, Chaplin City Lights. <laughs> he said, a talkie. I said, oh, a talkie. Um, Dr. Strangelove, Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. Oh, he said, 
what's the funniest comedy ever made? I said, oh, oh no. the funniest Blazing Saddles. Everybody knows that. Oh, I mean, there we go. And he goes, right, right. He says, they just did a poll, and the funniest movie ever made is supposed to be Some Like It Hot, and Blazing Saddles is number two. I said, well, that's nonsense, Mel. You know that. I mean, that's just nonsense. So what did you ask me? What did you ask me? I ask you, who's your favorite director of all time? Oh, my favorite director. My favorite director of all time um, is Alfred Hitchcock. We're all still running to catch up with Alfred Hitchcock. Well, the thing Brian De Palma said it best. He said Hitchcock invented everything. Of course, we imitate Hitchcock because he did everything first. It came from his head. All he thought about was cinema all day long. We have his handwritten notes uh, on Queen Mary stationery. He was coming across from uh, England to America to uh, go to work for David O. Selznick for the first time. He was going to work in England for the first time in 1939. And he spent his time on the Queen Mary on this voyage over the Atlantic, writing all of these notes, his thoughts about cinema, how to use POV shots and how to use inserts and what what is what audiences respond to. They respond to melodrama, but melodrama has become cliche. So how do you how do you change up melodrama? And it, it, you could see his thought process. Well, through character, you have to create relatable characters, but they have to be relatable in a humorous way to contrast with the violence and the and the intense suspense of the melodrama. I mean, he wrote this all. This is all he thought about his whole life, and it it comes out in his movies and he experiments with cinema and with his genre of the thriller genre in his movies. So, of course, we're all still imitating Hitchcock to a certain extent because he thought about it first. So he's my favorite director. Steve Haberman. Dr. Steve Haberman. Right. I want to thank you for being on Fat Fish. That, that was it? That's all you want from that's me? All, that's all. I mean, you can, we might have you back. Do I, get I, I just... No. No. Maybe. Maybe. You know what? You're going to get paid with my performance in Slices. As the that? Do I get a little under the table? You get a little brown bag on the side, baby. Oh, and I'm telling you, I'm going to start researching my role. I'm going to go and I'm going to have a meal, maybe two, maybe three, because that belly is going to hang over the pants. And I'm going to be the seriously. Slices is going to be a huge success, and I'm going to be a big part of that. And when it I will. say big, I mean big. Listen, if if you scare them, they will come. Yo, that is pretty scary. You saw my dancing. Right. Steve, I love you, man. I will see you on the set of Slices. And by the All way, right. I think this guy Fish would be great in the pizza uh, in the pizza parlor with me as my assistant. What do you think? Oh, oh, you want is that why you want me to find you want that part, huh? We'll find yes. yourself. Don't you worry. Yes. We'll find, depending how useful you are in getting the gelt, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's gonna get the gelt. Don't worry, something. I'll get you, I'll get you so lightheaded with some of my concoctions. You you'll make me the lead. <laughs> and you won't it's even easy. know it. <laughs> Believe me, it's a, a child could do it. In fact, a child has done it. <laughs> Steve, we love you. I love you personally. I'd like to cuddle with you. Thank you for those days. And thank you for giving me that. I mean, if it wasn't for you, I would never have been in any Mel Brooks films. Publicly, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're welcome. And by the way, you're having a great hair day. A great thank you. Day. You rose to the occasion, by the way. 
Did you know, I? You, yeah, you also expanded to the occasion. You did everything. <laughs> How many per? Oh, by the way, I want to end with this. Mel was getting, he was freaking out because we were losing lights and they had to get the big, you know, the big strobes out, like you said. And then Rudy comes up to me and says, God damn it, shove that fucking burrito down your throat so we can get the fuck out of here. I go, yes, sir. <laughs> did. I, I did. I, I must have had 25 burritos that day. Yeah, and we didn't lose the light. No, we didn't lose the light. And by the way, I had 25 burritos. For the part, I owed four, but on the side, you know, I had the other. Mark's other playing with you in <laughs> case you ran out. Yeah. Fish. All right, guys. The greatest, Dr. Steve Haberman, everybody. Oh, I'll so see great you meeting you. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you for your. Thank you for entertaining us. Oh, my pleasure. The masses. The masses. I wish you knew more about horror films. Jeez, right. Christ. Okay, please. And fish today, frenzy. Go get frenzy. Alfred Hitchcock's absolutely. frenzy. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the blue. I'll tell you, Doctor Haberman. There's not. I remember when I was a kid in Psycho. Real quick, Brad. Psycho came out, and that scene when the chair turns around and the skeletons in it. I couldn't sleep. You know. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. how about the birds? Yeah, I just, yeah. That was a crazy film. The birds. I mean, yeah. nuts. Genius. I'll, I will. I will see frenzy within a week. Okay. There you go. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Well, good luck on finals. Have a good summer. I hope we have classes in the fall. Bye. Bye, Dr. Steve. Bye, Bye buddy. Wow. You nailed it. You nailed it. What a, what a character. I, the Emmys. I mean, you know, when I see some of the comments are going to come by, he someone said he looks like he looks like an older Grunged out Christian Slater. <laughs> oh, God. No. The eyebrows. <laughs> oh, God. He's going to oh, be no. fun for you. When you get this, we get this film done. You get this film done. He's going to be great. But if you look at his, I, I, he never answered the question I asked about Dracula dead and loving it and stuff ask like me. that. But he's worked with Dick Cavett. We, we got to have him it. back. I was in it. What do you want to know about Dracula dead and loving it? I had a partner. Well, I, I just, I, I, well, my, my question, you tell me. My question is, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, vampire guy, and and he he's the head writer on that. It says 1995, right? And Leslie, what Nielsen was the film? What was the film? Give me, give me a 30 second. What's the film about, and what did you do in it? Well, I play I, um, Uncle Mel plays Van Helsling, and he's doing an autopsy, and I was one of the students in the autopsy. And by the way, what uh, one of Leslie Nielsen's finest films? He was oh. unbelievable in it. He was the star. He was wonderful. Uh, he was incredible. Leslie Nielsen. Can I, I mean, underrated. Can I, can I put a dig on? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. See, what there's like a two-second delay between each other, so we sound like you're talking on each other. So I'll do this when I'm done, and you can no, keep no, no, talking, because no. I'll talk over you, you anyways. I got to give you shit, because something happened last night that's never happened before, and I thought about you, because I know you get nervous and you eat. Five minutes and 36 seconds ago, in San Francisco... And the Warriors are up by 17, and they lose 18. to the Denver Nuggets? 18. 18. Steve Kerr, your good buddy Steve Kerr always holds his composure. But I swear to you, you can see you know, the veins you get in the side of your head right. when you're pissed off. I mean, Steve, step, step up. Um, Stephen Curry said, I've never seen that before. And, and yeah. they need Draymond back. Sorry. No, they do. But did you see him? Uh, he, he, was, he was talking to the Joker. 
Remember the Joker, you know, I guess fouled, uh, I don't know who he fouled coming up the up court. And Steve Lickner, don't do that. Did you see that the little banter yeah. they had? And the Joker, he showed him something at the end at the three. That's unbelievable. Shot. I mean, unbelievable. Shot. I can't believe they couldn't hold the lead at home up by 18. It just goes to show you it's never over till it's over, you know. You always said you all, you always say you what we talk about sports, you always say the momentum. Momentum yep. carries you and the little things when you get on a roll, like you're gonna do this year in this in the in, in Hollywood, the momentum keeps going and positive and things happen. Uh, I'll give you my prediction. I'm pissed off. My Raiders were eliminated from the playoffs on Sunday, and my Longhorns were eliminated from the college football playoffs on I Monday. I think Michigan, if you watch in those games, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh outcoached Nick Saban. That doesn't happen. That's right. like out. That's like you out acting Al Pacino for a part when he was younger. It doesn't happen. You're a good actor, Brad. Not that good. Um, I like Michigan over Washington, unless it's a shootout. What do you think? I think, I think Michigan's going to take it because they have the momentum. They have won games that they shouldn't have won, and they have everybody back from last year. But I have to say. The uh, the quarterback for, for Washington Huskies is incredible. He is, I mean, he is the real deal. That guy. Oh, he is really good. It's going to be a great game, but I think Michigan's going to pull it out, and they're going to be national champions. And then I think Harbaugh will go back to the NFL. That's my prediction there. But I think Michigan all the way Monday. And I've been I've been right, uh, you know. I told you uh, Michigan was going to win. Remember when you you, asked you me? called it? Yeah, good for you. You're, you should maybe you should get one of those one eight hundred numbers. You know, call me Brad between eating burritos for the movie slices. I'll give you the hot tips this for week. This week's NFL games. I never lose. You ever hear those eight hundred numbers? Yeah, those guys. Yeah. There you go. There's another was, career uh, for you. Yeah. Um, Jed was, Fish, University of Arizona, great recruiting class. I read, and then through the portal, I'm telling you. I, I will predict by the time slices is made or within the time it's released and our podcast finally sells to somebody, Arizona will be known as a football school more than a basketball school. How do you like that? It'll never happen. But I will say this. We have come a long way, baby. I mean, oh. I mean, Arizona football was a joke for like the last eight years. And uh, fish, the other fish, uh, Jed Fish, he uh, he brought us back, man. It's going to be. I mean, I'll tell you, we got a great recruiting class. We got a great quarterback, and we'll see where what happens. But uh, it's exciting. I had the best time at the University of Arizona, and I have to have a little. Molly, baby, what are you doing? Yeah, Molly goes. Come no. on, Danny. It's, it's, it's Grubhub. Beverly Hills, not here. Oh, Easy, Molly. Um, hey. She's going to bark. So. I know. If, no, we, let's, if we could talk let's... over it for a second, I gotta. I gotta say something. I lost Bar Boss. I did not win Bar Boss. Um, oh, I finished very us. high in the country, and I want to thank everyone who voted for me. It doesn't mean that Brad and I, and I say this every show, aren't gonna stop anti-bullying, especially at the teen level. So I just want to bring that out before we get out of here. Thanks everyone for voting for me. I finished very high in the country, even though I didn't win. We're still gonna win for the cause. Always. And God bless Molly for her uh, her challenge and her memory. We're going to stop this horrible thing that's happening to kids today in schools and college, all the stuff. I mean, it's it's got to stop. And uh, it's going to be in M Molly's memory. God, Molly's wonderful. And look at 
Look at your Molly. There you go. Man. I think no. she wants to see you and you the walker. She wants to get the hell out of that house of yours. Walker. And it's always uh, good seeing you. Great two. first. You know what, Brad? This is show number 43, but it's our Correct. first show uh, of the new year. And and boy, the, the, the talk about momentum. What a way to kick it off, right? Oh, man. Thank you, Dr. Steve Haberman, uh, for uh, your insight into the horror genre. But, uh, you know, it's great to talk to him because he he saw he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself as a, as I was as being his waiter with Rudy DeLuca, his writing partner. And that's a true story about uh, Uncle Mel and Ann Bancroft saying, all right, For, you know, let, let me stop right there. And I, I'll say this and you get us out of here. Get they get our boy Dave, Dave Linden there to, to sing goodbye. I make fun of you all the time. It's not bullying. I make fun of you because that's what we do with each other. Right. You're a great actor. And I, if anyone, forget the comedy, but anyone could go back and watch your little your your segment on Shameless, where you're a dick to Emmy Rossum's character in that diner, and you confront Dermot Mulroney. We talked about this on a show. That's pure acting. There's zero comedy in that scene. And it was, you brought out like, this is a tense, but Brad's being a dick. And of course, I'm in the restaurant business. You, the, the way you portrayed that character brought the tense and the, and the anxiety out of me watching it. And I don't want to give it away. That's acting. I mean, you could play yourself in a burrito, being some funny guy on Fuller House, or being a fat guy in Two Broke Girls. You have a big toilet. Watch Shameless. Get us out of here, Mr. 43. 43 in the books. Thank you for that compliment. I'm humbled by that. And, uh, been doing it a long time and uh, john candy by the way is my hero because he did drama and comedy he's my favorite of all time and you're my favorite of all time because fat fish 43 is in the books dave linda take us home baby you've been listening to the fat fish podcast heard on all your favorite platforms until next time <laughs> love you buddy we both love our nannies. Love you too.